Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, guess what? You're in the right place because this is where the best run. Today's topic is part three of something we've talked about on this series on one of our other Game Changers series. It's so important we wanted to bring it back. Let me give you the buzz on the street. This is a quote from Teresa Dominic, co-director of Circle, UCL Circular Economy Lab. Here's the quote. We will design products differently if we knew that those products were to come back to us as manufacturers and we could extract value from them and create new products from them. So everybody think about that as a circle. We're talking about the circular economy. Let's take a look back in history. The last 150 years of the industrial evolution, I didn't say revolution, have been dominated by what we see as a one-way linear economy model. That means we produce, we consume, and we throw things away. We manufacture goods from raw materials. Then we sell them. Then we use them. Then we say, ah, I don't want this anymore, or it doesn't work, or I don't like it. We throw it away. Sometimes we incinerate it as waste. In other words, we start at one end, and then we get rid of it. We don't want it. This is not sustainable. We know that. So the circular economy model, which we're going to talk about again in detail today, maintains products, it extends their service life, and it repurposes the waste from one product to maintain another. So the new circular model is reuse, repair, and remanufacture. Aha. And by the way, if you're thinking circular economy means we're all going to go out and hug a tree, you could do that anyway, but that's not what we're talking about. So is your company on board yet? Whether you're manufacturing something, just selling something, somebody else manufactures, how can you do this? It's the way of the future. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and let me tell you who my three experts on the panel are today. We're thrilled to welcome back. Actually, one is joining us. He wasn't on the last section. It's Dan Weller. My colleague at SAP, he's a senior analyst at SAP Insights. He will be our first kicking off panelist. Second, we will welcome back Christopher Koch, Director of Thought Leadership for the SAP Center for Business Insight. Okay, and rounding out the panel also from SAP is Will Ritzrau, Director of Sustainability. Gentlemen, pleasure to have you back. Dan Wellers is up first today, and Dan has sent us a wonderful quote from Yuval Noah Harari. And the book we're talking about is 21 Lessons for the 21st Century. It's written by the Israeli author, I just mentioned him, Yuval Noah Harari, published in 2018 in the U.S. and the U.K. It's a loose collection of essays, many based on articles he previously published, where Harari tries to untangle the technological political, social, and existential quandaries. That's a lot of quandaries, Dan. The humankind faces. He deals with the distant past. He wrote a book in 2011, Sapiens, A Brief History of Humankind. And with the distant future in 2016, his book was Homo Deus, A Brief History of Tomorrow. So here is the quote Dan has selected. Questions you cannot answer are usually far better for you than answers you cannot question. I love this quote. Dan Wellers, how have you been? I have been terrific, Bonnie, and it's really, really good to be back today. Thank you. We're so happy to have you. I am really, I, I don't usually talk like this, Dan, but I'm digging this quote. Questions you cannot answer 
are usually far better for you, there's an implication, than answers you cannot question. So tell me, how in the world, in 21 Lessons for the 21st Century, did you find this gem, and are you a follower of Harari? Go ahead, Dan. Well, I absolutely am, and I've, uh, this is the third book he's written, as you said. Um, the first two, I, I joke, uh, that he had to write this book with a more positive outlook because the first two bummed people out so much that, uh, that he, needed to, uh, he needed to put everybody back in a, a good mood with some real answers to some of the, or suggestions to some uh, ways to solve some of the problems that he outlines, the serious problems in the other two books, particularly the Homo Deus book. Um, so, so yeah, I just, I think the guy is great and I haven't finished the book yet. And this quote mm-hmm. was in the first half and I made a note of it and said, huh, that's an important, important quote. So tell me something. What does this mean to you personally? Are you of this same opinion? Do you share this with Harari? The questions you cannot answer. What does this mean? And I want you to relate this to our topic today, Dan, going from linear economy model to the circular model where we don't just throw away, step on things, incinerate them, make them into dust, fill landfills with them. We put them back into circulation. So how does this relate to our topic, please? Yeah, no, thanks. That's a, that's a good question. First of all, I've always thought my whole life that, that good questions are better than good answers. I mean, computers can give you answers, but humans can ask questions. And, and questions, questions don't always need answers. I mean, questions you can't answer, it leads to new ways of thinking. They can lead to new ways to frame problems. I mean, sometimes the purpose of a question is, is sometimes not to get an answer, right? It's just to, just to reframe the issue. And it applies to this topic because, you know, we, we don't, there's not enough um, uh, use, there aren't enough use cases now to really be able to, to, to show without a, a shred of doubt how this is all going to work. The ideas are there, the intellectual capital is there, the understanding of business processes are there, but this is essentially a redesign of our economic system, and there are a lot of questions we can't answer, and I'm going to add yet to that, yet. because there will be answers to those questions. I so like that's that. Why and I really it's, like this. it's time to pose those questions and ponder them. Thank you very much. Appreciate it, Dan, and welcome back. And now let's move on to your co panelist, Christopher Koch. He said I could call him Chris, I think. Chris is quoting a newcomer to Game Changer. She's 16 years old. She's a Swedish activist, and she's been nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize. Her name is Greta Thunberg. I hope I'm pronouncing that right T H U N B E R G. Let me read a little bit of a background on it. She rose to prominence in August 20. 2018, last summer, when she started the first school strike for climate outside the Swedish Parliament building. Then in November of 2018, she spoke at TEDx Stockholm. In December of 2018, she's a busy 16-year-old, she addressed the UN Climate Change Conference. In January of this year, she was invited to talk at the World Economic Forum at Davos. So, Who is this young girl? Well, I'll tell you. Her mother is a Swedish opera singer. Her father is an actor. Her grandfather is an actor and director, all very well known in the, in Sweden. And here's the deal why she started all this. Chris, bear with me for a second here. In December 2018, Greta Thunberg mentioned she was diagnosed with Asperger's syndrome. 
Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, which we know is ADHD, OCD, Obsessive Compulsive Disorder, and Selective Mutism. To lower her family's carbon footprint, she insisted that the family becomes vegan and give up flying. Oh my, now here's the quote. There are no gray areas when it comes to survival. Either we go on as a civilization or we don't. Chris Koch, welcome back. What a quote. How are you? I'm doing great, Bonnie. Thank you for having me back. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. I feel the same way about you. Where in the world did you find this quote from the 16-year-old? She's world famous, so talk to me. Yeah, so um, I I think what's interesting about what she said here is that uh, there's really no black and white. There's no gray areas when it comes to this. And this relates actually to her illness. So when she was eight years old, uh, she was a very precocious uh, uh, schoolgirl, and she looked into what was going on with climate change and what the scientific community was saying about it. And her parents were telling her, you know, turn off the lights, uh, recycle everything, uh, don't waste food. But she looked at the larger picture and said, why isn't anybody really doing anything about this? And mm-hmm. she actually, because of her illnesses, in part anyway, she became incredibly depressed uh, mm. because one of the things about Asperger's is you have this black and white thinking. It's either, it's either this, it's either X or it's Y. And she said to herself, if we don't fix this, we are all going to die. And this contributed to a depression that led her to stop eating. So mm. um, they finally got her back eating again. But she, her growth is actually stunted. If you've seen pictures of her, She's a 16-year-old who kind of looks more like an 11-year-old, uh, so she's wow. suffered terribly during this period, but it has clarified her mind. She says that I, sometimes I think we, we people with Asperger's are the normal ones, and you are the crazy ones, because you're mm. not, you don't see this, and you're not doing anything about it. So she has helped clarify for a lot of people that by the time she, 2050 comes along, which is when a lot of experts say that the real heavy uh, aspect of climate change are really going to start to hit the planet. She's only going to be halfway through her life. So she's asking the question, as Dan sorts of puts it, she's not, she's not giving you answers. She's asking the question, what will you do so that we can make the world livable when I'm halfway through my life? That's what she's asking when she's standing in front of the parliament. Very, very compelling. And obviously, Chris, she captured people's attention uh, she was in, must have been very engaging uh, to see a young person suffering, number one, and number two, being able to articulate things that are normally bigger, quote-unquote, than somebody of that age. We don't expect anybody in their mid-teens to do anything more than, oh, it's going to sound terrible, go shopping and text people and talk on their phone all day long. Right, Chris? Yeah, and she has she- no interest in that. She says, uh, I, I don't speak unless spoken to. Wow, wow. Well, obviously, if the U.N. is talking to her, if Davos is talking to her, if TEDx Stockholm is talking to her, she's been spoken to. So that's very powerful. That's a, a quite an interesting way for hopefully waking up other kids her age 
who do not suffer from the illnesses she has and saying to them, okay, get out of this this bubble you think you're living in and let's start paying attention because we want the world to continue and be there for us. Thank you for the great quote, Chris. Really appreciate that. And I'm going to move on to Will Ritzrow. Will has sent us a quote from Mahatma Gandhi. Quick history here, 1869 to 1948. Indian activist and the leader of the Indian independence movement against British colonial rule. Um, The honorific Mahatma in Sanskrit means high-souled or venerable. It was first applied to him back in 1914 in South Africa, and now we consider it something we refer to him as Mahatma Gandhi. In India, he's also called Bapu, B-A-P-U, which is the term he actually preferred. It means in Gujarati, endearment for father and papa. He's also called Gandhi Jai, J-I, and he's known as the father of the nation. Here is a three-word quote Will had selected from Gandhi. Action expresses priorities. Will Ritzrau, how are you today and welcome back. Excellent, Bonnie, and, and thanks for having me again. Delighted as well. Uh, how, how could I'm I have Chris and Dan without you? How could I have them without you? Come on. This is this is a pack here. So <laughs> it's a package deal. So go ahead, Will, talk to me about the quote. Yeah. I'm just reading a book uh, written by the grandson of, of Mahatma Gandhi, and he tells story how, how his grandfather told him basically wisdom of, of, of the life. And uh, he tells the story. One of the stories is actually... Uh, he was at school and went home, and and his little his pencil was already very short, and he just threw it out. Hmm. And in the evening, Mahatma would ask him to to write something down, and he said, "Well, you know, my pencil has gone." And Mahatma asked him, "Where is it?" And and the son Arun Arun Gandhi actually said, "I threw it out." So Mahatma made him walk back and find the pencil because he said. Waste is not good, and we should respect everything we use, and we should use it to the, to the to the very end. So that's why why I chose this this quote. Plus, I think it's time to act, and some companies act, and uh, that shows that circular economy has become uh, a greater priority in in uh, in our business in our businesses. Very interesting. That's an interesting story. Did you say it was Gandhi's son or grandson, Will? I just want to put this in the tweet. What, what did you say? Grand, grandson. Grandson. Gr- grandson. That, it's the I, grandson I appreciate, and his name is Arun. Arun Gandhi. Arun, I appreciate the story in light of what uh, Chris just shared about Greta Thunberg, about her awareness of the economy. There's another example of a parent, in this case, a parent teaching a child, in her case, a child teaching the family. So it goes both ways. Very, very interesting. Thank you, Will. Appreciate that. Let's go back around the table and catch up with our three panelists. We'd love to know three questions. Dave Weller's number one, where in the world are you today? Number two, what's your favorite drink that powers you, that has nothing to do with the circular economy? And number three, tell us what you're up to with your new title, Senior Analyst at SAP Insights. Dan Wellers, talk to me. <laughs> well, so I am in Danbury, Connecticut. My wife and I recently, recently downsized from the home that we, actually I should say right-sized, from the home that we raised our three kids in to an apartment. Um, so we are, are absolutely little 
Absolutely loving our new digs here. What's in my cup? Um, it's as usual. It's a it's a it's a blend of Peach Major, Major Dickinson and uh, Trader Joe's. I think Ooh. it's a Sumatran blend this time, which I blend here, and I actually hand grind it with a um, a coffee grinder called Bean Me Up, B-E-A-N, Me Up, which I got from uh, online from a Swedish company. Right? And, and so that's what I do every morning. It's a ritual that I, that I go through. Uh, so that gets me going every morning. Now, uh, what's am I up to with this new job? We are launching our think tank. Um, this is a, um, uh, an effort that we are really excited about. We are uh, really getting set to scale our research capabilities, our writing capabilities, our publishing cap- capabilities about things like the circular economy and its effect on the economy and business, technology's role in that. Um, and so, yeah, that's... That's where we are, and that ties to this conversation as well. Thank you very much. And, of course, you know, I looked up Bean, B-E-A-N, not Bean Me Up, Scotty from Star Wars, Bean Me Up, which is trademarked, the first manual coffee grinder that features two interchangeable ceramic conal burrs, B-U-R-R-S, for quick or easy grinding. Okay. And I think the Swedish company is Finum, or Finum, F-I-N-U-M. Is that the right one, Dan? That's the right one, Absolutely. Okay, it says manual coffee grinding does not have to be hard work anymore. Bean Me Up, the winner of 2015's Good Design Award, promises a new experience in manual coffee grinding. The new edition is the first one that has the two interchangeable burrs. Uh, you can adjust it from a coarse to a super fine grinding grade. Very, very interesting. Whatever the brew you're up for, be it filter coffee, French press, espresso, or Turkish mocha, Bean Me Up can do them all, and it's ergonomically designed. I think I'm going to get me one of those, and I'm glad you're enjoying your new downsize apartment. Dan, I'm one of the boomers who upsized. I <laughs> And there were more and more of us, by the way. I went from an 850-square-foot apartment in Long Island, New York, where I lived for 32 years, to a 2,200-square-foot house with a front garden, a back garden, a two-car garage, a screen patio, three bedrooms, two baths, and this fabulous open kitchen. Yes, I'm not sure why, except it's on a pond with a fountain, and I look out every day and see the fountain, and they put lights on the base of the fountain every night, and the colored lights shoot up in the air, and it's absolutely gorgeous. So that's... That's why I upscale. But enough about me. Thank you, Dan. Glad you're well, Mr. Wellers, and thank you for joining us. Chris Koch, up to you. Same three questions. Where in the world are you? What's your favorite drink or something to do with a drink? And what's your role these days? What are you doing? Bonnie, that sounds like a terrific house. I'll buy it. (laughs) I'll let you know. (laughs) Uh, I'll talk about mine. Um, so I live in Brookline, Massachusetts, which is a very old community outside uh-huh. of a very old city, Boston, yep. Massachusetts. And I live in a house that is at least uh, 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 older than 1855. And the reason I know that is because in, in the 19th century, there was a tradition where people who either worked on a house or lived in a house would etch into the window panels either their names or some people would would say would etch sayings. It was sort of the social media of the day, and we have someone who etched her initials in 1855 and dated yeah. them 1855. So we know the house is at least that old. We're wow. not exactly sure how old, but um, so it's uh, it's a two family, and we have enough room for ourselves. But it's not as palatial as what you have down there in North Carolina. <laughs> I'm jealous. <laughs> 
I lived in Cambridge, Massachusetts, in North Cambridge, uh, Chris, for many years. Um, I was at, uh, let's see, I was commuting to Sarah Lawrence in Bronxville for the first six months. Then I transferred to Boston University, and my husband was at Harvard Architecture, and my son was at Radcliffe Daycare. We had quite an interesting, our days were very, very interesting. But I remember in North Cambridge in those days, Chris, that families lived multi-generations in a single house. So you could have the grandchildren and their parents living, and then the grandparents on the upper floor, or cousins living, and the houses were smaller, they were huge, and it was just lots of cul-de-sacs. North Cambridge was fascinating in those days. So, talk to me drink and what are you doing these days this is what i'm going to be drinking because i don't have it yet and this relates to what i'm going to talk about later um Mm -hmm. there's so many ways to find out what companies are doing these days and it's i'm going to talk about this issue of transparency there's a newsletter from uh, the new york times it's fairly new it's called climate forward it gives you news and information about climate change um on there, uh, they recently interviewed someone who, who um, knows all about coffee, and there is oh. a transparency a, a transparency chain into the coffee supply chain. So there are uh, the traditional way of gaining transparency would be through things like getting an official seal. So there's the uh, USDA. You've all heard of that if you if mm-hmm. you've, uh, bought food in the United States, and the way to find out whether a a cup of coffee is truly green as well as black mm-hmm. is to, to look for the manufacturer's stamp of approval from the USDA that it's organic certified, that it has fair trade, that's an organization yeah. as well, uh, that it is bird friendly because uh, coffee can interfere with um, native species in the areas where it's grown. And it's Rainforest Alliance certified. And I have a brand called Java Planet that comes from Colombia that is all of those things. So fair trade, in case people don't remember, is kind of an old term, but it means that people who pick the beans and sell the beans uh, at the wholesale level, where prices are actually extremely low, even though things are very expensive here for us in the U.S. and in Europe, uh, they make sure that they are paid a fair wage. And so... Um, that's uh, that's why I'm going to start drinking Java Planet. Well, beautiful, and I found their website, and it's jporganiccoffee.com, Java Planet Organic Coffee Online Shop. Enter the world of Java Planet. Experience an excursion to exotic foreign lands where you explore the deep, rich flavors of our premium fair trade organic coffees with the comfort of knowing your cup was brewed with virgin, whole, organic coffee beans, shade-grown and secluded so far from civilization. They have never been touched by a chemical spray, nor would they know what one was if asked your adventure awaits that's gorgeous that's what what a beautiful is that beautiful the writing my goodness i wish corporate writing were this interesting shall we just put it that way now i have to ask you chris i looked up climate forward the newsletter you mentioned is that the climate fwd which is published by the new york times yes they're using internet meme speak signing up right now 
I'm signing up right now. What on earth is going on? Sign up to get our latest stories and insights about climate change along with answers to your questions on tips on how to help. And I just sent them my email address and I'm going to subscribe. So there. I need more newsletters in my inbox every morning, Chris. I really do. <laughs> I, I really do. And I make them circular by forwarding them to people I think would appreciate it. Not on a standard DL, but if I have something that comes in, I really think people would like I handpick the people in my contact list and send it. So there's this circular economy. And what are you up to these days? What are you doing as Director of Thought Leadership for the Center for Business Insight at SAP? Well, I've actually shifted. So um, I I am working with Dan. So I am in the Insights Research Group as well. So I am the Editorial Director there, and uh, I'm also an analyst. So Dan and I are looking into... uh, uh, Dan's signature effort, which is digital futures, looking at the, the distant future of technologies. And we're also doing uh, research on uh, some of the latest, greatest technologies that um, uh, relate to um, some of the things that uh, SAP is doing out in the field. Thank you very much. Well, congratulations on the new role for both of you. And now let's go one more stop around the table to Will Ritzrow. And Will, I know that somewhere in your history you were a marine biologist. I'm looking down here for you. Let's see, trained marine biologist and climatologist. So tell me, Will, Will, where are you today? What Are you enjoying drinking? Whatever it is, we'd love a description. And catch me up on what you've been up to. Uh, most uh, certainly, Bonnie. I'm I'm actually not at home today. I'm in, in Stuttgart, where the the German CSR forum is uh, is happening. I spend the whole day with three of my students, and the highlight of today's day was actually the the initial talk of uh, Ernst Ulrich von Weizsäcker, who was a former president of the Club of Rome. So he was one of the guys who wrote the book uh, The Limits of Growth. And he was, uh, he was very clear that the way we're doing business today is not going to be sustainable and uh, we may come into significant uh, problems in the, in the near future, similar as, as Greta said, said it. So that was a highlight. Uh, the overall theme of today was, uh, was climate change because climate change is one of the drivers of, of uh, the rethinking of, of businesses since it's... Uh, Finally, finally seen as a business risk. So to, yeah, to your next question, um, being on this conference, my choice of uh, beverages is fairly dull. So I can select between a, a non-sparkling water or uh, a poor coffee. Uh, and that's what I had all day. But that's okay when I was able to, to listen to this great inspirational talk of uh, Ernst Ulrich. Uh, what we're up to... Uh, this year is, uh, as you said before, I'm working in the sustainability organization of SAP, and we have uh, three priorities we're working on this year. One is circular economy, so the topic of uh, our discussion today. Slightly related to this one, uh, we're working to a topic which is called impact valuation. So what kind of role do companies play within society, and where do they actually create value? And impact, and that includes not only the upstream supply chain, which is also uh, relevant for the circular economy, but also the downstream supply chain, also relevant for circular economy, 
And how can you how can you describe uh, that overall in monetary terms, and then translate that into internal steering? That's the second topic. And the third topic our department is dealing with is uh, business ethics uh, for digitization. So how can we define or drive digitization in a responsible way? So it's not a job killer, but more uh, a, ro- a job enrichment. Does that make sense or does that answer your question? So we have a few things on, on our plate this year. Yes. And I really love being part of that stuff. Good. And loving what you do is is part of why we all love what we do. So there, there's a circular reason. By the way, back in the day, I don't know, Dan and, and Chris, well, you may be familiar with the term tautology. I remember learning that in math in grade school or junior high school. We didn't have middle school. We had junior high school back in the day. Dan, you probably remember those days, I think. And we called the tautology circular reasoning. Remember? It was like a Mobius strip and it just kept going around and around and around. So is that the goal of the circular? economy, would you say, Dan, or is that an oversimplification? I think, well, circular reasoning was, as I recall, n- not something that was good. You, you kind of reinforced the same thing over and over again and never really answered the question. Uh, certainly the circular concept is right, but this actually, in the circular economy, going through the cycles builds value each time. Okay. And uh, in circular reason, I, I don't think that was the same idea. But it's a good question. Thank you very much. I'm glad you clarified. I don't know where that came up, but it's, I'm looking it up now. It says it's not a good thing. It's usually undesirable. It's redundant statements in literature and rhetoric in formal logic, a statement that is true in every possible interpretation. It's a rule of replacement for logical expressions. Maybe I learned it in logic in college. I don't know. We will just move on from that. So we're going to take a quick break because I think my panelists need one, and so do I. If you're tuning in, this is Coffee Break with Game Changers Radio. Started the show in 2011 and here we are in 2019. Woohoo! Episode number 364. We are coming to you live here on the Business Channel at Voice America Radio, World Talk Radio. It's April 3rd, 2019. Hope you all got through April 1st, April Fool's Day unscathed. It's actually a holiday in many countries, but not all, and the origins are unknown, according to Wikipedia. We're talking today about circular economy, radical and unproven, or saving the planet. I'm speaking with three of my colleagues from SAP, Dan Wellers, Chris Koch, and Will Ritzrow. We're going to take a quick break, 90 seconds. You can count them along with us, and we'll be right back. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We'll be right back. Aaron out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP. SAP Systems for secure access to business processes anytime, anywhere, and on any device. www.sap.com 
Business news and discussions are always changing. In order to stay ahead of the game, sometimes you need to be a follower. You can follow the Voice America Business Channel on Twitter at Voice AM Business. Again, that's at Voice AM Business. And stay current. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're enjoying Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. You can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. Absolutely, positively, yes. We're talking today about circular economy, radical and unproven, or saving the planet. My three special guests are Dan Wellers, Christopher Koch, Chris, and Will Ritzrau. And Will spells his last name R-I-T-Z-R-A-U if you want to look him up. We're going to start the roundtable formally with some statements here from Dan Wellers. And Dan says... It is said that the circular economy is regenerative and restorative by design. He said, you might think we're all out there planting trees or hugging trees, but no, it's referring to four clearly defined sources of value creation. I'm just going to read the four titles, and then Dan will give us a a little bit of an elaboration of each of the four, and then we'll see what Chris and Will have to say. So we're talking about the power of the inner circle, the power of circling longer, the power of cascaded use, and the power of pure input. Sounds wonderful. It makes me think of making good chocolate for some reason, Dan. I don't know why. So, Dan, <laughs> let's talk. Power of inner circle. Go ahead first, please. Before I go into those four, I just want to set a little context for those because I think it's important yes. uh, so you understand how, how they fit in the whole thing. So, so the context is this. Great strides have been made in improving uh, efficiencies in the linear economy, the linear, linear value chains. But at the end of that value chain, we still either you know, dump everything into landfills or mm-hmm. incinerate it, right? And, and th- this, this is the idea of waste. There's so much waste built into the current system. And that waste, it wastes all of the value, all of the costs, all of the embedded materials, the labor, and the energy that was used to, to create that product, uh, product or that component. It goes into the ground or it goes up in smoke. So even, and this is a key point, even setting aside the environmental concerns momentarily, this makes absolutely no sense on the face of it from a business standpoint. So, so the circular economy answers a question that is fundamental to business success, which is how do you get the most value possible, value meaning revenue and profit, out of each dollar you spend on materials, labor, and energy. So the first thing you do is design out waste. You have to have products and components designed to, for disassembly and reuse, but this is just the first step, and here's where these four four sources of value creation come in. So very quickly, the power of the inner circle refers to to minimizing these materials that are used compared to the linear production system. The tighter the circle, the smaller the circle, so to speak, the, the less a product has to be changed in its reuse or its refurbishment or its remanufacturing, and the faster it can return to use. And then the higher the savings 
on that material, that labor, and that energy that's still embedded in that product. So this is getting the maximum economic value out of the money you already spent, essentially. So the power of circling longer is refers to the, the, the maximizing the number of consecutive cycles, whether it's repair or reuse or complete remanufacturing, and the time in each cycle. So every cycle, and you can, if you can make them longer, it, it avoids new costs of mm-hmm. material and energy and labor to create the new product or component. Cascaded use, the power of cascaded use, the third one, talks about diversifying reuse across industries. So when cotton clothing, for example, is, is reused as secondhand clothing or, or um, resale clothing and then crosses into the furniture industry as fiber fill in upholstery, and then that fiber fill is reused in, in insulation for construction, uh, that, that continues the use and the value of these raw materials and across industry in a cascaded use perspective. And then finally, the fourth is the power of pure inputs. And this power comes from the fact that, that uncontaminated materials I- increase our ability to collect and to redistribute efficiently while maintaining the quality, which extends the longevity of the product, keeps the materials in the, in the economy, and, and the value is maintained and retained and can be used multiple times to pr- provide value at each cycle. So that's why those four things are really important, just from a business perspective. And I'll stop there. Thank you. Very, very interesting, Dan. This is brand new material for me. Never saw that before, and that's why I'm glad you shared it. Chris Koch, love to get your thoughts. Uh, what about the four sources, the four powers, or the idea of regenerative and restorative by design? Just, just add some comments, please, Chris. Dan was uh, defined this very well. I think what I would like to add to that is that we are going to get visibility, in, in, enhanced invis- visibility into whether companies are doing uh, all of these things or not. And that's going to matter a lot more in the future because, as Dan mentioned on our last uh, visit with you, um, we've done some research and we found that there's a phenomenon called, we call it values defined value, meaning that customers are increasingly looking to understand whether a company's values uh, align with theirs. And by that, I don't necessarily just mean, you know, they're not breaking the law. Um, It's, uh, you know, you can have your your personal values. Let's say you believe in things that are made in your country. That's a value. Um, Increasing transparency will enable you to, to figure that out as a customer. So one of the things that I think everyone agrees on as a value is safety. And mm-hmm. uh, so companies are, through uh, technology such as blockchain, uh, you can now go to some grocery stores and you can tap on a screen and you can literally see who planted the lettuce you're buying, where it came from, how much they were paid, and uh, uh, whether it was treated with any chemicals or not. And this kind of transparency through technologies like that is going to mean that as a company, you need to show, you need to be will not, not hide any secrets from your, your customers. And I think that that relates increasingly to what we're talking about here with the circular economy, which is that 
if you are putting on a show, let's say, of saying, yes, so we really believe in the, in the circular economy, people are going to be able to find out whether you are actually doing that or not at a production level. Uh, and that's happening through two means. One is that through the Internet and, and big data and all of the things that are available to researchers, they can go in and determine uh, the level of which companies are doing that. And, and we also have the growth in artificial intelligence, which means that increasingly buyers are going to be able to say to something like Alexa, and I know that you can't do it now, but in next generation Alexa, mm-hmm. um, uh, you will be able to say, get me a coffee that is uh, fair traded, um, you know, is shade grown and does not have chemicals on it. Look how easy it was for us to do that, you know, with a few clicks on Google. In the future, that is going to become something that is instantaneous. So um, I think that uh, more and more customers are going to demand that these kinds of changes be made in the supply chain, and it's going to be much more easy for them to figure that out. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does, Chris. And, and of course, I looked it up and I found an interesting article here at businessinsider.com from September of last year. Walmart is moving grocers to the blockchain. Walmart revealed earlier this week, and this is back in fall of 2018, it will start requiring suppliers of lettuce, spinach, and other green vegetables to use its food tracking blockchain platform, as reported in the Wall Street Journal. The retail behemoth will require direct suppliers to start using blockchain by the end of January 2019, so it must already have happened, and include and indirect suppliers, including farmers and logistics firms, to start using it by September 2019. There you go. Uh, very, very interesting. Okay, so that that's part of what you were mentioning. Absolutely fascinating. Never even thought about this stuff, Chris. Never, never even thought about it. Uh, I'm posting this on Twitter so people can see this. Very interesting. Will Ritzrau, please join us. Will, thoughts on what Dan was talking about, the four powers, uh, and what Chris has added. Will? You know, Bonnie, as you can imagine, I'm in violent agreement with, with Chris and, and, and Dan. <laughs> Touche. So what, I'm, what I'm asking myself is why, why are we not moving faster? Why are we not move, moving faster? And I think in our preparation, preparation, I said uh, changing our very successful business model over the last 70 years uh, isn't that reckless. It, you know, it, it took many people out of poverty. Many people uh, live, live very well, and, and the economy is humming. But that was based on, on productivity gains. I mean, Dan was alluding to the productivity gains, but the productivity gains were based on on specialization, and that made mm-hmm. the, the the products very complex. And I hope, I really hope, what what Chris was just uh, saying that this complexity will be made transparent based on new technologies, based on blockchain, based on uh, artificial intelligence, based on machine learning. So that the consumers really have the opportunity to look behind the curtain and see how products are made, how many times they may be recycled, how many times, uh, what the, what's the, 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 uh, the, the longevity of a use cycle is. So I really hope uh, that is going to happen to really uh, move the, the, uh, the businesses towards... Uh, circular differentiation 
because as I, I fully agree that, that what Chris and Dan says, consumers want sustainable products and uh, products which are based uh, based on social values, their own values, plus they should be made within the planetary boundaries, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so from that perspective, I, I really hope that uh, technology will take us to the next level of responsible businesses. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Good, good comments around the table here. I want to move on a little bit to something, uh, Chris, in your notes on radical transparency. And you say customers are making increasingly making purchase decisions based on the values they share with companies. Those values are not just in terms of the ethics and the legality. We've talked a little bit about blockchain in terms of, I'm just going to broadly use the term, Chris, the ethics of where did our food come from or from where did our food come, not to have a preposition at the end, but also in terms of personal beliefs. And you say that, for example, made in USA is not a good thing, it's not a bad thing because it's just a label, but it's a value that some consumers value highly. Can you talk a little bit about that, Chris, about this idea that we're looking at, at let's use example of labels to say what will we buy from whom where and when is this a good thing I think it is a good thing Bonnie because um, you know when we talk about uh, circular economy you you very carefully pointed out at the beginning that this doesn't mean that we're hugging trees Uh, Mm -hmm. this transparency is going to reveal the fact that uh, having a value around something like circular economy is neither a good nor a bad. It is about saving money, uh, first and foremost, because it is economical in the end. And and Will can talk about a company in France. uh, Well, we we mentioned at the last show, which is Renault. They've been remanufacturing engines Mm -hmm. since after World War II. Um, and, And the fact that we need to dispel this idea that having this value is somehow a political in the end, it is about it is a value of uh, of saving money and of saving our planet. And transparency can only further those two goals. And I'll give you an example. I won't mm-hmm. name these here, but okay. there is a very large retailer, a big box retailer that has a lot of real estate. And by that, I don't mean land. What I mean is rooftop, mm-hmm. and it has become the largest consumer of solar power in the United States. It does not talk about this publicly, uh, but it is putting solar panels on top of its stores. And it's doing this not because of politics. Um, It is doing it because it is business sense. And what they are planning to do ultimately is to have enough panels on the roofs of these stores so that they can literally disconnect from the grid. In other words, their stores will be self-sufficient from an energy perspective. And that means that they are going to save a tremendous amount of money. Their shareholders are going to save a tremendous amount of money. And ultimately, transparency will reveal that they're doing it through renewable technologies. And I think that that is is the key benefit that's going to emerge from this increased level of transparency. Thank you, Chris. And by the way, it, it's public knowledge. There are five companies that are doing this in a big way. I'm just going to read this. I found solarpoweraUthority.com. IKEA 
has a solar presence at 90% of its U.S. locations. Whole Foods generates enough solar energy to meet 107% of its power use. Coles ranks sixth in the U.S. for its total on-site installed solar capacity. J&J, Johnson & Johnson, operates one of the largest solar panel systems in New Jersey, and Walmart has the greatest on-site installed solar capacity in the United States. That okay, Chris? I just wanted to add that. Five, five major retailers. Sounds good to me. I would add they, another another yeah. retailer that begins with a W, but I won't. I won't do that. Okay, that's that's fine. <laughs> that's fine. That's objective here. Well, we had two W's in here. Hey, we had Whole Foods and Walmart. Yes, Dan, go ahead. Bonnie, can I add there something real quickly to what Chris yeah. said? Just something yeah. real, real fast. So, Chris, you're absolutely right. It is about saving money, but it's also about new new revenue streams. Uh, there are examples of you know, yeah. companies you know, going through redesigning how they make products. They can remanufacture. Um, they can remanufacture end-of-life products to reach emerging markets, which have a lower price point. Um, in the, the apparel industry, which is growing 15% annually, I'm sorry, resale apparel. It's 20 billion now. It's growing 15% annually, which is about. You know, taking in old clothes, refurbishing them, and selling them to markets and customers that you would never reach before. So, yes, savings cost is huge, but a really important part of it is new revenue and profit streams as well. And I think that's overlooked in the discussion of this, which is to Will's question, maybe one of the reasons this is not being adopted as quickly as it should. It's, a, it's a, a, not a full understanding of all the value that this can offer. Thank you very much. We're just about up to the part of the show where we do our crystal and ball Bonnie, predictions. Yes, Will, I was going to have you start the predictions, but go ahead with what you were going to say. Please go. No, I just wanted to add uh, to, to Chris's point, and Please. I'm glad you brought up uh, Renault and, and combining your point and, and Dan's point. One yes. of the reasons why they're going, for example, for uh, used part and refurbishing them is that the, the second life or the second life product has a higher margin. Mm. So you can sell them 30% cheaper, but you don't have the, the entire production costs, right? So that's exactly what, what Dan, Dan said. And, uh, and Renault is uh, to keep control of, of the resources. They're so smart that they're, they're creating consortia, consortia for taking parts, uh, cars apart. And they're actually extracting values from car parts of their competitors. So it, it's really business business viability and, and reducing uh, cost of, of, of uh, procurement or, or uh, scars resources. Thank you. I, I want you to start the predictions. I'm going to give so you, you 60 to give seconds. Me, uh, you wanted me to, to make predictions. Yes, but I, I want to interrupt here for one second. While I'm having this conversation, uh, Chris and Will and Dan, I'm thinking of, of two things that people have been doing for years and years and years, maybe three. Number one, we have hoarders who never throw anything out, so everything stays until somebody finds them or their goods or they get a, a, an organizer. Number two, hand-me-downs. A lot of kids have resented hand-me-downs for clothes, for goodness sake. And now it could be something that's environmentally very fashionable to say I'm using clothing. And number two, number three is garage sales. Talk about the circular economy. That may be the, the, the genesis of it. One of the genesis in modern history or modern consumerism is you put everything out on the lawn, you put a price tag, people take it and they find a repurpose for it and nothing was wasted. Sometimes things are reinvented. I'm just, just tossing that out. Those are common ways I'm thinking that we have been, in a sense, having some circular economy on a, on a casual personal basis. Will, 60 seconds. I'm ready for your prediction. 
Uh, I think in 2019, more and more companies are moving towards circular models. Consortia will be built, and the first steps towards uh, supply chain transparency will be executed, and the consumer will love it. Well, we want the consumers to love it. Thank you very much. That was brief and to the point. 60 seconds. That's great. Dan Wellers, I can give you 60 seconds. Use them well. Go ahead, Dan. Predict, please. Okay, great. That's great. So, yeah, I mean, we've got these mega trends. We've got resource scarcity, your water insecurity, urbanization, you know, customer preference. Uh, there's also, though, a gradual acceptance of these alternative business models that we haven't talked about today. Um, My first article about the circular economy was back in 2014, and I have seen the name recognition and the understanding of this grow tremendously. And it's starting to be understood that it also, it really requires Mm. a top-down management approach, change across the entire company, across the entire operating uh, systems, culture, uh, the entire way a company runs. Uh, and so that's happening for strategic reasons, profit reasons, revenue reasons, at the same time as creating jobs, driving innovation, and saving the planet. So I think in five to ten years, this is going to be commonplace. Thank you very much. And Chris Koch, I saved exactly 60 seconds for you. Go ahead. Okay, so this is already this is old stuff, but Nielsen most recently found that brands associated with sustainability grew 3% more in one year than the rest of the field. So already you have a mandate from your customers to start doing this. But what I think is going to happen in the future, and we predicted in a report we did, is something that we're calling background shopping, which is that uh, with the growth of AI, uh, consumers, customers are going to push a lot of their decision-making to AI, to the background. And they will specify how they buy these things. And I'm thinking commodity goods like, you know, uh, uh, bathroom tissue, stuff like that. And they will say things like sustainably resourced, uh, fair mm-hmm. traded, and they will put these into the AI and the AI will do the shopping for them. Companies Ooh. are going to have to uh, respond to this and they're going to be basically selling to the AI in a few years. And Ray Kurzweil goes further. He's a futurist. He predicts that by the 2030s, we will have a neocortex in the cloud, each of us, that will supercharge all of this decision making, even beyond what I'm saying right here. So, thank you, Chris. You we, have to, we have to. We have to stop. Yep, radical transparency. I want to thank my three panelists. We are literally, figuratively, and virtually out of time. I want to thank the three of you and Aaron at the World Talk Radio Business Channel. Aaron Keller, our engineer extraordinaire, and Bonnie D. Graham. Sorry to rush you. We had a great conversation here about circular economy, and I'm posting on Twitter. The replay, which will be up in a couple of hours, the replay link. But just go to voiceamerica.com. Look in the calendar for Coffee Break with Game Changers. Look on the episode directory on the right-hand side. Find the Circular Economy episode from today, April 3rd, 2019. And when it says listen now, you can. Here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. There's something that's circular. <clears throat> what are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today, just like Dan Wellers, just like Chris Koch, and just like Will Ritzrau, all at SAP. Have a great day. I'll be back 2 p.m. Eastern with a new episode of Internet of Things with Game Changers. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. 
The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week. 